Welcome to the SJBC Sunday Morning Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by our senior pastor, Dr. Richard Carver. For more podcasts, videos, and information on our church, please visit mysjbc.org. Amen. Aren't you glad we can come just as we are? How clean would you have to get to approach the Lord? You know, we, we could not get ourselves that clean. I'm glad we can come just like we are, burdened and broken and even sin-filled. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning, verse 31, page 930 there in your pew Bible. We often sing the song, This is my Father's World, when we come together for worship on Sundays and Wednesdays. And the words are familiar to you. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and around me rings. The music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare the maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle's not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. We start a, a new series of sermons today, five-week series, and uh, we'll end on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. It's hard to believe that Thanksgiving is only five weeks away. The following Sunday, we'll be in the Advent season, and we'll begin our Christmas series of sermons. Uh, Christmas is only ten weeks away. <laughs> so it's hard to imagine how quickly time is fleeting. But these next five weeks, we'll be focusing on, this really comes out of staff meeting early this year. Uh, Jacqueline challenged me to, that we needed to do some theology. And so uh, I guess that was back in February or March, somewhere, maybe even last fall. But uh, I'd already kind of plotted out that where we'd be and going through James. And so uh, while working on James, also working on this series of sermons, and today we begin a five-part series on our core beliefs. There may even be a sixth one thrown in here. As I have my quiet time this morning, I may want to do one on just on soteriology from the distinctive Southern Baptist, traditional Southern Baptist perspective. Uh, but th- this five-week series on core Christian beliefs. In truth, uh, we call ourselves Southern Baptists, but we're part of a, a broader group of uh, evangelicals that would include uh, Southern Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, Evangelicals, Holiness, Church of God, Church of Christ, where we believe certain things about God. And one of the core beliefs that that we hold in our church as Southern Baptists, but in other churches, the Catholic Church as well, is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Those three ideas are essential to our understanding of faith and in our belief that we are saved by grace alone. There's nothing we can do to earn it, nothing we can do to get it. It's only by God's providential grace that we can be saved. 
We are saved through faith alone. And that faith has an object. It's Jesus Christ. And it is in Jesus Christ alone that we are saved. Now, the Bible alone has the authority to teach us these things. You don't want to go to any other book, to any other resource. You want to come to the Bible to understand what God is teaching us about Jesus Christ. Now, reading commentaries and other religious material is not wrong, but the authority is here. The authority is not some theologian. It's not some pastor. It's not a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a popular preacher on television. The authority is here. And you have sufficient knowledge and understanding and ability to be able to read this and study it for yourself to discover the truths and the reality of God. God wants us walking through His story about who He is. Today we will begin with the core belief that glory goes to our Father in heaven. Now we try to position and attach glory to almost anything and everything. We want to give God the glory because in truth He's running the show. He's sovereign. There is no one, nothing more powerful or who could prompt or move God if he doesn't want to be moved. This is our Father's world. It's not our world. We're just passing through. My quiet time this morning, I was reading, a, I think it was out of the, the, the book Streams that I read, read from. And it was talking about a friend who was getting ready to move and how they were going to go to a new house because the house that they were living in was starting to fall apart. And the story was really the, the person talking about themselves. This old body's wearing out. All of us are moving every day that we live. We're one day closer to, the, to breathing our last breath. It's a reality. Our days are limited. We won't live forever. Life is intended to be temporary because what is to come is eternal. And that is either eternity in God's presence or eternity not in God's presence. We call eternity in the presence of God heaven. We call eternity not in God's presence hell. Being in heaven is the best that it can be. Being in hell is the worst that it can be. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, this earth is the closest you'll ever get to heaven. If you do know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, this is the closest you'll ever get to hell. It'll never be worse than what's here. Because we're moving to heaven. If all glory belongs to God, and if He runs the show, if this is our Father's world and not our world, then that means that none of the glory belongs to us. None of it. Now, we have a hard time with that. We do. We want pats on the back. We want attaboys. We want to hear people tell us good job. And I'll tell you, I'm just as guilty as anybody. When we get in the car, there's two people that I want to hear from. I want to hear from my mother, and I want to hear from my wife. How was the sermon? Now, if they, if they don't answer right away, generally, I don't have the nerve to ask. Because that means that I didn't do very well. And if I didn't do very well, I don't want anybody to tell me. Just, just like you. I mean, preachers have a level of pride, too. But we're mistaken. Honestly, it's wrong for me to ever even think that. Because if I'm honest and I want all glory to go to God, my wife and my mother's opinion shouldn't matter, nor yours. When I answered the call to the ministry, my grandmother told me, no matter where you preach, preach to one, Jesus Christ. The room may be full of people, but always keep an audience of one, and you never go wrong. If all glory belongs to God, none of it belongs to us. 
That's a reality. It's not some kind of abstract thing that we think about that we're supposed to affirm at church. It's really a bedrock of our faith that all glory belongs to God. All of it. Every single bit of it. It defines really how we live. That's why Paul wrote nearly 2,000 years ago, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Next slide, guys. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, or whatever you do, do all of whatever you do for the glory of God. Well, how many things do we do? I mean, Paul mentions eating and drinking, and we kind of want to stop there. And because he identifies two behaviors that we can relate to and understand, and we can name times and places when we eat and when we drink. And so we kind of lock in on the eating and the drinking to bring glory to God. And we skip over the whatever. Now, there's a lot of stuff in that whatever. Do you know you can tie your shoes to the glory of God? You can brush your teeth to the glory of God. Did you know that you can sneeze to the glory of God? You can clean out your ears with Q-tips to the glory of God. You can write a poem to God's glory. You can sing a song to God's glory. You can play an instrument to God's glory. You can dance to God's glory. You can walk to God's glory. You can open the door to God's glory. He, Paul says, whatever we do, do it all for God's glory. There's a whole lot in there. It's not something that we want to skip over. We want to focus in on the, the whatever part because we understand eating and drinking. We take time to think about what Paul meant. It's really quite moving. To think about everything that we do, you can button your shirt to God's glory. I mean, to think about all the things that you can do to God's glory, but you don't ever think about it. Paul challenges us to think about the things that we do, and we can do everything to God's glory. Now, granted, that would take some exercise. That would take some intentional thinking to, on our part. We'd have to be strategic because it would almost drive us nuts if we tried to bring glory to God in everything that we do. But that's the point. Go crazy about bringing God glory in everything that we do. So what does it look like to eat and drink and do whatever else that we do to God's glory? This morning we're, we're going to talk about what it means and, and, what, and how we can teach ourselves to bring God glory. In truth, it's natural to proclaim God's glory. You do it more than often than what you realize. You live more righteous than what you realize. Satan wants to trick you into thinking that you're so sin-covered and sin-guilted that you're of no good to God's kingdom or His glory. And that's not true. You do more for God's glory than what you realize because it comes natural to believers. We want to. Now, glory is a strange word for us. According to the writers of Scripture, the great truth about God is that God is glorious. He's full of glory. And the Old Testament writers reveled in God's glory. I mean, they got excited about it. When was the last time you got excited about God's glory? When was the last time that, that you were so moved by God's glory that it just struck a smile across your face that, that you couldn't help but shout about it? There's something wrong with believers today if we're not thinking about God's glory. We're distracted by so much other stuff and living. 
They reveled in it. We need to be reveling in God's glory. They said that God's glory was proclaimed everywhere and they got excited about it. They saw it everywhere. Psalm 19 declares that the heavens declare the glory of God. In my neighborhood, there's a move to put up more streetlights. I don't like streetlights personally. I think that invites criminals. They don't have to have flashlights. If there's plenty of streetlights, they can walk right up to your house. There are neighborhoods in Louisville that have zero streetlights. You know how much crime they have in their neighborhoods? Zero. None. That's because criminals don't want to be spotted carrying the flashlight. So they want to put more lights in my neighborhood. I don't want them. I enjoy seeing the stars at night. I don't want to watch moths and bats. I want to see the stars. The heavens declare the glory of God. All the heavens. And it says, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Did you realize that every time you look up and you notice a star, you just brought God glory? Did you notice every time you look up and and that sun shines so bright that you have to put your hand up when you're driving that you just proclaim the glory of God? You do it without realizing it, proclaiming God's glory. Now, King David was not saying that creation proves God's existence. That's not what he's saying. In the ancient world, everyone assumed that God existed or at least some divine being existed. They might have called him something else. But everyone just assumed, they believed that there was a God somewhere, somehow that made all that is. What the psalmist is saying is that creation, the heavens and the earth, the place where we live and the place that we observe, tells us something about God. That when you look at the skies, you look at the stars, when you look at this earth, we generally go to the ocean in the summer and the mountains in the fall. And we love them both. We see God everywhere because this is our Father's world. The beauty, the wonder, the mystery, the majesty, the power, the liveliness in all of creation declares God's glory. It's everywhere. When you walk through the grass in your bare feet, you declare God's glory when you you realize it feels good. When you catch that first hint of snow and you get a smile on your face, most of you, You declare God's glory. Now glory, it's strange to us, but really we understand it to some degree. Glory is the particular excellence of something that makes it praiseworthy. For example, the glory of a flower is its beauty. The glory of a a strong man is his strength. The glory of an old believer is their stout faith. Glory is the particular excellence of a thing. And we understand that. Creation is telling the glory, the majesty, the wonder, the splendor, the otherness of God. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. We recognize that creation is telling the glory and we begin to revel in it and celebrate what we see in creation. We give God glory. And honestly, we're made for this. We're made to bring glory to God and we ought to bring glory to God and we ought to do it like this. 
Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. We ought to be doing that. Every day, all the days. Now, every person is like something. All of us. We all have a name. We all have a reputation. We all have a character. And so does God. God has a nature. God has a reputation. God has a character. And God's character, His person, His reputation is glorious. God is glorious. And you're His child. And because you're His child through faith in Jesus Christ, you too carry His glory. And you carry it with you everywhere you go. So if God is glorious, why does God want us to ascribe glory to Him? Now that's a thought-provoking question. If He's already got all the glory, why does He want us... Is he running short on glory? Why does he want to subscribe to him more glory? Now, we don't worship God because he has unmet needs. And we worship God because it's the natural response when we detect his glory. When you experience God's glorious nature, the natural response of any person is worship. We want to surrender our hearts. We want to fall down on our knees. We want to raise our hands. We want to say amen. Because in that moment, we're experiencing the glory and the presence of God, and it excites us. If we see something glorious, we naturally want to tell somebody. People take pictures of rainbows, put it on Facebook because it's glorious. They want to tell somebody. Or a comet, or the northern lights, or a waterfall. When we see things, that something glorious, we want to tell somebody, and that's part of the joy, to celebrate what we're seeing. We want to express an appreciation of the glory we've seen. Well, God is a glorious God doing glorious things, and we get to be a part of it. That's part of the reason why we exist, to celebrate His glory and to participate in it. Now, it's natural to proclaim God's glory because we're made to experience His glory. We're made to walk in it every day of our life. The Old Testament word for glory is a wonderful word. It's a word that that belongs to God. And the idea of glory, the glory of God, it, it gives weight and meaning and significance to life and creation. All of life matters. Your life matters. And your life has weight and importance. And it has glory. Now that's an amazing thing to think about. In the Bible, the glory of God is particularly associated with the presence of God. I love reading the first five books of the Bible. Even the books that are kind of hard to understand like Lamentations and Leviticus. Because in those two books, God teaches us how to worship Him. They're beautiful dissertations about how to bring glory to God in our worship. So that it honors Him and draws other people. The heavens declare God's glory. But when God manifested His presence, His glory became tangible, touchable, feelable. And people are drawn to God's glory, 
to His beauty, to His splendor. During the time of Moses, the Israelites had been in a 400-year commitment to slavery and bondage. And then they were set free from that slavery by the moving of God's hands. All of the nation of Israel went off into the wilderness and roamed around in the wilderness. And there's a scene in in Exodus where they come to Mount Sinai. And Moses climbs up Mount Sinai. And God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And in the giving of that Ten Commandments, God shared with Moses a new level of understanding. He told Moses, he said that, that he was going to enter into a covenant relationship with the people of Israel. Now, people had relationships back then, and they had covenants back then. But they never had one with God before. And now, they were going to be in a covenant relationship with God. Something never existed before, the way that it did there. So, in Exodus 24, God is present there on that mountaintop. Can you imagine the glory? We can't. We can't. No matter what our minds might concoct, no no matter how our imagination might roam, we could never fully capture and express what Moses saw. He saw God's glory. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of a mountain. Looked like the top of the mountain was on fire, but nothing was being burnt up. They didn't understand it. It was so great that words couldn't describe what was being seen. All they could do was use what little words they had to express the awe and the wonder and the worship they felt as they saw the glory of God being revealed on that mountain. God reveals it to us as best as we're able to receive it. The level of glory that you've seen of God in your life has been revealed to you by God at the level at which you could receive it. All of us. The closer you get to God, the more of His glory He's going to share with you. Moses was right there. The glory of the Lord is like a fire. It's like a radiant, bright, expansive want to cover your eyes, light. Now we love fire. We like lighting fire pits and grilling on open fires and building fires in our fireplace. We, we like fire, but a consuming fire is a dangerous thing. You can't get away from it. Fire, you, you can't live without it, but it can also hurt us. People are drawn to God's glory. And although the Israelites were drawn to God's glory on Mount Sinai, they could see the top of the mountain. But they were afraid of it too. They told Moses, don't get too close to us because you glow. Don't get too close because you brought some of that glory down with you off the mountain. You stay over there. They stayed at a distance because the glory of God is full of awe. I mean, we want to see it. 
We want to experience God's glory, but at the same time, we're kind of afraid of it because we don't fully understand it. What's it going to do to us? It might kill me. We've been cut off from God's glory because of Adam and Eve. There was a day when they looked fully into God's face. In Genesis, it tells us that it was God's custom in the cool of the day, in the evening, to walk through the garden. Can you imagine walking side by side with God every day? Adam and Eve did. They were with God. And they were not afraid until they sinned. And the part of us that's afraid to experience God's glory is a remnant of that Garden of Eden sin that we still carry around in us. We're afraid of God's glory because what, why, what will it do to me? Can I stand it? In a way, we're starving for it. But at the same time, we're afraid of it. Now, the truth is, believers like you and me and your children, your family, we are to be glory reflectors, not glory makers. One of the most famous verses in the Bible was written by Paul to the church in Rome. Read this with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. There's two words for all in the original languages. There's the word all that's, and I rarely do this, but it's pospon in the Greek. And it means all that's in existence now. All that's just right here, right now. But there's also a word called tapanta. We would translate the same way as A-L-L because it is all. But the word tapanta means all in the past, all in the present, and all in the future. Paspan means all right now. Tapanta means all from all time. So if we read this word, this verse, understanding it's the word tapanta here, it says, for all in the past, all in the present, and all in the future have sinned. And all in the past, all in the present, and all in the future fall short of the glory of God. That sin that we inherited from Adam and Eve, this verse tells us that that sin cuts us off from God. We don't have access. There's a gate set up now and we can't get into God's presence. Remember the angel was set guard over the gate in the Garden of Israel, uh, Garden of Israel so no one could pass either way. We're cut off from God. We can walk up to the gate, but we can't go in without Christ. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the key. And that's what allows us to bring glory. And it makes us want to get, because we're cut off from God, and because we still want glory, like what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden, because we have a, a hole in us that longs for God, it makes us want to get glory for ourselves. That's how we get stories like the Tower of Babel. They couldn't share in God's glory because they'd been cut off because of sin, but they still wanted glory. They were still hungry for glory. So the people, the builders of the Tower of Babel were going to make glory for themselves. They said, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make glory for ourselves. 
We still do it today. We use our intelligence, our technology, our own strength to build our own towers so that we make glory for ourselves. But, but the truth is that as believers in Lord Jesus Christ, we're to be glory reflectors, not glory makers. It's a reality we have to embrace. We don't ascribe to God the glory that's due His name. So we're like the builders of the Tower of Babel. We say, come, let's make a name for ourselves. In truth, we're in the name-making business. We want to accumulate glory for ourselves. However, it's not true glory. Because glory, true glory, is an overflow of knowing God. It's a reflection of knowing God. It's reflecting God's glory. Last night the moon was bright. I don't know if y'all noticed it or not. I mean, it was bright like somebody was standing above my house with a flashlight. I mean, it was bright. We have a security camera on the back of our house and there was a motion in our backyard and I, it was like that there was a street light in my backyard. I mean, it was so bright. I read an article yesterday, y'all may have seen, seen it, that China is building a moon. Did y'all see that article? They're building a moon because the moon is obscured because there's so much pollution. They're building a, a moon. It's just a big device that they're going to put up in the sky in the evening so people can look at the moon and feel like they're looking at the real moon because people need to see nature. Is that crazy or what? Just cut back on the pollution. But they're, they're building a moon. Now, you and I know that the moon does not create its own globe. It doesn't. It doesn't matter how bright that moon is, how full it is, how big it is. The moon does not create its own glow. It's reflecting the sun. Folks, you don't create the glow. The glow that you have is being reflected from the Father. When you see Christ in another person, through their walk, through their faith, you're seeing the reflection of God in them. And we're drawn to that. It tugs at us. We're designed to be glory reflectors, not glory makers. Now there was one who truly did make glory and reveal it. And that was Jesus. Jesus does, did and does reveal God's glory. The prophet Habakkuk wrote about a glory that was coming. He's writing prior to the birth of Christ. Habakkuk prophesied, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. The prophet's telling us where the world back then was headed and where it's headed today. T.J. mentioned in his children's sermon that the Lord could come back any time. The rapture could happen any moment, and it can. Folks, if you're not prepared, you're in an awful situation. Because once the Lord calls us home, there is no more salvation. The earth will not simply be filled with and declare the glory of God. Habakkuk tells us that this earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. He said there's coming a day when you will know it. You will know the glory of God. You'll see the glory of God. 
There's coming a day when you're going to experience the word, the glory of God. Somehow there's going to be a day when you're going to participate in God's glory and you will cherish that glory. Well, then one day it happened just like that. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Read this part with me. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Habakkuk said, a day is coming when the earth is going to be filled with the glory of God. The knowledge of the glory of God is going to be everywhere like waters cover the ocean. And lo and behold, it happened. Christ was born on this earth and this earth was filled. People could see it. They could touch it. They could smell it. They could hear him participate with it, cherish the glory of God because Jesus was right in front of them. The glory of God descended from heaven to earth. That word dwelling. If we did a literal translation, it would be tent or tabernacle. That he made his tent among us or his tabernacle among us. And so we could read this fairly and say, and it could be translated this way, the word became flesh and tabernacled in our midst. Now, tent or tabernacle is something temporary. And certainly Jesus was here temporarily, 33 years. Now, He exists eternally. But He was on this earth in flesh and blood for 33 years. In that moment, when Christ was born and laid in that manger, glory came to this earth in a little baby, in vulnerable flesh. And now people could touch God's glory. They could see it. Habakkuk said it's going to happen. And it did. And it's still happening. 